I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, you've never looked better. We're in John chapter 5 today, so in those Bibles, if you would turn there, John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. I'm going to break them up into about three or four points I want you to pick up on through these verses. We're in our series, Amen, the truly, truly, or verily, verily statements that Jesus has made throughout the book of John. Uh, We're looking at a few of those in our series. Uh, And today we want to look at him and his claim that he is the Son of God. He was very straightforward about who he was and what he was. And it confused people. They didn't necessarily like that. They didn't necessarily care for his thought process. But it's important that we see it. So I want to just jump right into it. The number one thing I want you to see in verses 19 and 20 is that the Father and I are the same. The Father and I are the same. So... When Jesus spoke, oftentimes it ruffled the feathers of the Jews. When you preach the Word of God, it sometimes will ruffle the feathers of Christians. Why is that? It's because you're saying something that they don't necessarily want to hear, number one. And number two, they may have never heard it that way before. They've always heard it this way or that way, but never your way. And what is all this about? Always remember that we should be ready to learn, even if it's something you've never heard before, at least listen. Then go examine the Scriptures yourself deeper. Maybe what they said doesn't fit for for you. Maybe it doesn't make sense for you. No problem. But we can still love each other even though I may disagree with you on a point. Is that true? I still love you. Now, there's certain essentials we can't, you know, we, we just have to agree on them because that's what the Bible says and we're just going to have to go with it. One of them is he's coming again. You can argue all you want to, but he's going to come back one of these days and it's going to catch a whole bunch of people off guard. A bunch of Christians are going to be, whoa, I never thought he'd come this soon. So I'm saying, be ready. Be ready. Every day you've got to be ready. As though you're leaving here today. Let's pick it up at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The first statement that Jesus makes is an assertion that everything that God the Father does, he does, and everything he does is also done by the Father. The only possible conclusion uh, is not lost to the religious leaders. Jesus is claiming to be God. They didn't believe that. In the early 
church, the religious leaders would never address God the Father as theirs. It was always the Father in heaven. They wanted Him aloof from them, not in a relationship with them, not in an intimate way with them. And yet, that's the God you and I serve. That's the God you and I know. That's the Father we have, is one who loves us, wants to be with us, and around us. Amen? Last week was an interesting Sunday. It was one of those fall break Sundays. A lot of people gone. We didn't have any kids. I looked up in church and no one had any kids here. I thought, where are the kids? A little noise is a good thing. Now, these kids make a lot of noise. I got you. But I love a little bit of noise, don't you? It's a good thing. And I love their smiles. I miss kids who smile. The hug and howdy I love. Why? Because they, they eventually filter up here and give me a hug. I love it. Don't you? Most of you do. I see it on your face. And these are bus kids that we bring in. They're unchurched kids. They don't, they don't get it. Why we do all the stuff we do around here? But little by little, they're starting to pick it up. And I love that. So it was with Jesus. Jesus would make these claims about who He was, and that He and the Father are one, and the religious leaders just, what? Can't happen. Jesus is telling them about the relationship that He has with His Father. Now, you may have grown up not having a relationship with your father. I was one of those people. I didn't really have a close relationship with my dad. His statement was, if we asked him, Dad, do you love us? He would say, I'll put food on the table, a roof over your head, and clothes on your back. That was his expression of love to us, even though all I wanted to hear was, I love you. Any of you grow up that way? With a dad like that. And what I believe is that that's the generation of that particular man of that time. They tend to model what they've had modeled in front of them. So if what was, in, what was modeled in front of them wasn't a very loving man, then they in turn became that type of man to their children. And it's interesting, though, when grandchildren come, that man changes and, and is a lot different than he was when he was raising his own kids. My dad died of a heart attack. They said it was a heart attack. It was a blood clot got into the main artery of his heart, and he, and he died. But he was working on the car, getting it tuned, fine-tuned to go see his very first grandson that was born. That's, he would never do that. He would never drive to Fort Worth, Texas to come see us do anything. I just wanted him to drive across town and watch me play football. Forget it. Or baseball. Forget it. But he would drive to Fort Worth, Texas and see a grandson. You see what I'm saying? God wants us to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with Him because He loves us. Just like He loved Jesus, He loves you and me. The world... Ask the same question the Jews did. You know, who is this guy? What are you talking about? You can't have that kind of relationship with God. Oh, yes, you can. There's still doubt in people's hearts. But through the way we live and through the way we carry ourselves can change that perception. Now, let's move on. Verse 21. 
the Father and I have power over death in life, Jesus is going to tell us. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Old Testament clearly teaches that only God could give life or raise the dead to new life. Wow. Now they're hearing something. Wait a minute. Are you saying that you're the same as God Almighty? Yahweh? See, they would never say His name. They revered Him so much, the Jews. But Jesus walks right into the middle of the Jews and says, I raised them from the dead just like the Father raised them from the dead. Let's look at two Old Testament verses. Deuteronomy 32, 39. I've got these on the screen for you. I don't have them. Somewhere they were supposed to be there. I don't have them in my outline. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Well, let me just read those to you. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And then the First Samuel 2, 6. I think I put the references in your outline. First Samuel 2, 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. So you see, the ability to give life is one of the prerogatives of God. Because He can take down, but He can also build up. He can kill, but He can bring to life. Now, who have we seen Him do that with? His own Son. And because He's done that with His own Son, and because He promises you and me that we're joint heirs with Christ in heaven, because... We have surrendered our heart to Him and been through the watery grave of baptism and risen to walk in a new life. Because we've done that, He's risen us from death to life. You see it? We each represent death and life through God. Now, I want to look at the third thing I want you to pick up from from our text here. We're going to look at verses 24 through 26. I am the giver of eternal life. Here we start out in verse 24. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 25. Verily, verily, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Verse 24 contains words of peace and assurance, speaks of everlasting life as though it is right now. And that's the way you and I need to live. Not as something that's way out there, maybe I'll grab hold of it. If you're in Christ and He is in you, you've got it right now. If you died, boom, you're there. You don't have to worry about it. You ever had, had you know, in, in evangelism uh, teaching, they would always have you start with a question. You know, if you died tonight, would you be in heaven? Something like that. But the bottom essence, the, the essence of that is, I don't have to worry about the question. If I've got my relationship with God intact. Maybe you're going home today after church, heaven forbid, but you're in a car wreck and you die. Are you sure you're going to heaven? Yeah, you are. Satan is the one who places doubt in your heart. 
You are never going to be perfect on this side of glory. Good luck. Because just when you think you are perfect, <laughs> you're a liar. And so that just proves you've got sin in your life. But you can live assured of eternal life in Christ. Salvation is not just something we can have in the future. It's something that we can have right now. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And in chapter 10, up, uh, back up a couple of verses at 9 and 10, Paul wrote this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, it all starts with your heart and proceeds from your mouth, and then you continue in the process. All right? The person that does not know God is living a dying life. Well, you may be on top of the world, you think. But at the end, when it's all said and done, because there's two things that are for sure, death and taxes. Amen? Death and taxes. Everyone in this room is going to die sometime. Are you prepared for that? And isn't it interesting, the cycle of things? We just talked about a new baby being born. And the sad part about Xander being born, the difficulty coming early and all that, but boys growing and doing great, is that as soon as he was born, what? He began the process of dying. Now, we hope he's an old, old man when he, when he does die. But there were times when this new mom and dad had to just pray. Lord, I don't know what to say, but we want our baby to live. It's, it's a tough thing to deal with. But you can know. You can know. Now, the fourth thing I want you to take away is that I have all judgment, and it belongs to me. Look at verses 27 through 30. Because Jesus makes the statement that all judgment belongs to him. He was assuring us that nothing is done without the Father, but He will bring the judgment. Start at 27. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. So I like that. And they'll come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own, on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So Jesus has the same authority to judge as the Heavenly Father has authority to judge. And it would behoove us to be on the right side of things. Look what He says. If you're not on the right side... You've got judgment waiting for you. But if you're on the right side, you've got eternal life waiting for you. Wouldn't it be great to stand before God's throne? He says, why should I let you into heaven? And Jesus goes, whoop, they're one of mine, Dad. They're one of mine. They're okay. And what's exciting is, is that the Father will already see the blood of His Son covering us. That's what baptism does. The representation of baptism is that we're enclosed in Christ. That's what Colossians teaches us. 
We're buried. And so when we're under the water, we're being covered. And when we rise, we have a whole new outlook, a whole new look on the outside. Jesus brings then through His death on the cross, He brings that sin covering for us. And God will only, the Father will only see the sin covering on those who are in Him. Much like the blood over the doorpost, right? And He passed by. So He will bring us because of the blood covering of His Son on us. Three crystal clear facts I want you to pick up from these verses I just read. Number one, there's definitely life after death. That's what He says. He's teaching that physical death is not the end of your existence. And if you're not prepared, hell is the only place waiting for you. So how do you prepare? You hear it, you believe it, confess it, you hit the water in baptism, and you rise to walk in a new life. That's the process. Now, some people say, yeah, well, you're at baptism. And that's a work. No, it's not a work. It's just part of my sealing the deal with God. Not only am I believing in my heart, not only am I repenting of my sin, not only am I confessing with my mouth that He's Lord, I then I'm going to put my legs to actually see prayers need legs at times. Amen? And so I'm putting legs to my faith, and I'm saying, you bet I'll go. I'm going to bury that old man, and I'm going to rise to walk in a new life. Amen? So there's definitely life after death. Second thing that's crystal clear is that everyone will be affected by it. Look at verse 28. All who are in the tombs, it says. So that means all, without exception. That's going to be a fun day when everybody that's in the tombs goes, <laughs> when they all get up. You ever been in a cemetery and somebody rose up out of the grave? Oh, there's a lot of jokes about Halloween, you know. But wouldn't that, wouldn't that be amazing that all the bodies that are laying underground, all the bodies that were cremated, all the bodies laying above ground, Hugh Hefner paid $78,000 for the crypt next to Marilyn Monroe because she was the first playmate in the Playboy magazine. And he said, I want to be buried next to her. So he paid $78,000 to have that spot. That's awesome. Wasted money. I wonder where he is today. I wonder five seconds after he died if he had regretted anything. Because he didn't have to wait five seconds. One second after death, you know where you're going. You're either going to heaven or you're either going to hell. And there's nothing you can do to get back because the decision's already been made before you died. But the good news is that death is not the end. Death here is not the end. Born once to die twice or born twice to die once? You choose. You choose. I pity the person who is satisfied with justice when mercy is available. The third undisputed fact is that all mankind will fall into one of those two categories. Either you're going to have life or you're going to have death. And death forever in hell. Let's choose life. You can choose life. You don't have to suffer. It's a choice. In our text that we read, as we've broken it down, Jesus is who He claims to be. I want to show you a video. I want you to listen to this video. It's a, it's a spoken video. And I want you to hear what's being said. So, Jeff, if you can give us some good volume there. And then I'm going to ask you two questions that are extremely important after the video. 
Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet, from Nazareth in Galilee. He came to the rejected. questions. Number one, is Jesus right about who he claims to be? And if you say yes, or if you say no, it leads me to question number two, which is, if he's right, what have you done about it? What have you done about it? See, if I live for Christ and I become a Christian because I believe that Jesus is who he said he was and it's not true, I'm still better off. But if you never accept him and you never respond to him and you're wrong, Heavenly Father, I ask you this morning to move in our hearts to help us realize and remember how blessed we are because of a relationship we have with you. That you care about us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so, Father, I'm praying today for everyone in this room. They may have already professed their faith in you. They may have already claim you as their Savior. They may have already gone through the process of, of, of that life change. Oh, they've stubbed their toe a time or two, but they're striving to walk the walk you've called them to. There may be another person in this room that just has never claimed you as their Savior. They know about you. They've heard for a number of years how important it is to become a Christian. They've seen 
people in the around them, their friends, their family who are living for you, who have walked that walk, and yet they continue to hesitate. As our text clearly states, Jesus is your Son as well as God. Jesus is our Savior, and we can either have life eternal or death in hell for eternity. God, I'm just praying today that whatever decision needs to be made in somebody's heart, that they would do it. That they would answer that question. What am I going to do about Jesus? And Him we pray. Amen.